Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. I want to work with really smart people. And here's a list of schools that this person will have graduated from, said Lawrence, the CEO. I do not want to interview anyone who hasn't come out of one of these schools. Now, my gut reaction was simply to say no thanks and exit the meeting. After all, this CEO is going to be pretty difficult to work with. But my response back was simply confirmation bias. See, we favor information that confirms our worldviews And this helps us to reduce any cognitive discomfort that discounts our values and realities. As entrepreneurs, we are more susceptible to this bias because we are so focused on the task at hand. This reduces our ability to objectively make decisions that are best for our business. Now, Lawrence laughed, grabbed his sheet of paper, threw it in the trash and said, okay, find me smart people. The truth is the strongest people often surface in the most unexpected ways and your bias clouds your vision of the truth. I'm Rick Gerard. Welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to help entrepreneurs win hires. We share insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry experts like our guest today, Mr. Bruce Marable. He is the co-founder and CEO of Employee Cycle, the all-in-one people dashboard. Bruce is a Philly-based serial tech startup founder. And when Bruce is not helping HR leaders better use data to make smarter workforce decisions, he's making music playlists on Spotify, taking care of himself at the boxing gym, or hunting for the best bread pudding around town, which is what makes Bruce the perfect expert for today's topic. Bruce, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Thank you. By the way, that was such an official opening to the podcast. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> that was you. so official. Wait, where is it. the best bread pudding in town? In All right. Philly? In Philly, there's a place called North Third. Shout out to North Third for right. making bread pudding that tastes like French toast. Okay. It's amazing. Do you know of any places in California? Because there's never any good bread pudding out here. No, no. Oh, damn. I mean, typically when I'm in Cali, I'm usually in San Francisco. No surprise there for the tech space. Yep. And I think I'm pretty sure I've had it there because it's my mission to hunt for the best <laughs> bread pudding every place I go, whether it's for conferences or networking or meetings or customer invites. But I can't remember any good bread pudding in San Francisco. We'll have to go find one together one of these days. All, all right. right. So all right. today we're going to be discussing why bias needs to be eliminated from your hiring process and how to deliver an unbiased evidence-based interview. Sound like a plan? Sounds great. Let's do it. So according to Wikipedia, bias is defined as a disproportionate weight in favor of or against an idea or thing, usually in a way that is closed-minded, prejudicial, or unfair. Now, it's true we all have bias. It's important to eliminate for one simple reason, and that's your company's success. Yep. So why is it important that we actually have to eliminate bias from our company? Well, it's one simple reason. It's to create a fair and transparent hiring process. Historically, people have added a lot of unnecessary BS bias into the hiring process, whether they've actually known that they were doing it or not. And that bias comes in a bunch of different ways. Asking employees different questions, having bias-filled keywords and terms and job descriptions, and all of it at the surface needs to be removed so that you can hire a diverse, inclusive, 
inclusive and equitable workforce because all the stats show that companies that have a diverse workforce actually succeed better, are more profitable, and are the leaders in their industry. And this is really as simple as how you approach your interview. The fact of the matter is most companies yep. approach an interview with somebody who's a referral much differently than somebody who's an applicant. Yep. The idea with referrals is they want to screen that person in because maybe somebody over in accounting knows them, they've worked with them before, so they automatically get some credibility versus an applicant who they frame it from the perspective of they want to screen that person out. And not only is it not fair, but it's not often the best thing for your company. So taking that time to find out really benefits your company more than you would possibly imagine. Yeah, it's a huge issue. People tend to treat hiring like they treat dating. When you're dating, people say, oh, I would just love to be introduced by somebody that I know on my personal network because if that person knows someone that I like and respect and am close to, then hopefully by default of us sharing some common bond of liking this person that referred me to this person, then I might actually like them even more or they might be a better fit. But in the workplace, that's totally inaccurate because just because someone who works at the organization or someone that you know has referred a person to you as a potential candidate doesn't mean that they're a great candidate. No. Just because someone likes to go fishing and they know somebody else who they met while they were fishing and now they've become great fishing buddies doesn't qualify them to be the best person for your company. Like who cares? Who gives a damn if they're great at fishing or they're fun to hang out on the boat in the middle of the lake? That doesn't mean that they're qualified or that they're a great fit or that they're even should be hired at your company to do any of the jobs just because they were referred by somebody who you think has a great way to adjust or figure out who are great people for your company. And it's been proven over and over again that a more diverse culture, a more diverse company affects the bottom line of the organization yep. tremendously. I know it equates to quite a bit more revenue and higher productivity for the company. Right. And who doesn't want more revenue or more productivity? Even just for those two things, why wouldn't you create a more diverse workforce to make more money and to get more work done? What other issues do you see that companies have as far as bias goes, how it affects them? Sure. So in order to really figure out how companies are affected by bias, you really have to start from how are companies creating bias in the hiring process. And so to go into some of those examples, as I mentioned earlier, part of bias in the hiring process is in the job description. So this is pretty well known, but for those who don't know, there are terms and keywords that you can put inside your job description that may sound like you're actually looking and filtering for the right candidate, but in all honesty, you're actually pushing people away. For instance, the best known example is using terms like must have three to five years of experience oh. or must have done certain things in order for you to apply to this role. And studies have shown that because men, you know us, we're saying, oh, if the job says 10 years of experience and I only have one, I'm going to apply because stereotypically as a man, I'm overconfident in my abilities, even <laughs> though I don't have the qualities or the qualifications to work for this job. Whereas stereotypically and historically, women have been more accurate with their perceived abilities and really looking at the fine details of what the job description says. And so if the job description says you need 10 years, unfortunately, a woman might see that as, well, I've only had 9.9999 years. And so I'm not going to apply. So that's just one example of how you can unintentionally have some bias and eliminate certain candidates in your hiring process, even though you thought that that was the best place to do it. 
quite frankly, when somebody looks at the must haves in a job description, if it's you must have done exactly what we're looking for you to do, you're not going to want to do that job because I'm doing it right now. <laughs> right. So why right. would you have must have? Right. You're better off putting out performance metrics on what needs to be achieved in your first 90 days, six months, a year that you're going to be within the organization. So at least you know what kind of work you're going to tackle. You have a roadmap. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it should be aspirational. Yeah. You've already done this. And now here are the things that we want you to grow into because you also want this role to be challenging for the person. And that's such a great point. If more companies looked at it like that, then they definitely would be looking at people to grow into the role because that creates value for both parties versus just saying, okay, if you've already done all these things, then come in and then you'll do more of that. That's just a waste of time. We'll have you do more of that for less money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that doesn't exactly. make any sense of the logic behind it. So let's talk about biases because I did some research on different types of biases. And what's interesting, you talk about overconfidence. That's actually a bias. Yeah. So the first one, overconfidence, it's a subjective confidence in your ideas and your decisions. A lot of us suffer from that. I mentioned in the top of the show, the confirmation bias. Entrepreneurs are 100% subject to confirmation bias. We've learned things and we think our ideals are set. And what we're doing is we're trying to take our pre-existing beliefs and devalue any contradictory information because we know what's best. There's an illusion of control, which is mm -hmm. the overestimate of your ability to control a situation or an outcome. So you're the CEO of a company, things are starting to go well. That's when you go into illusion of control bias because now you're the king of the world. Anchoring and adjustment bias is kind of an interesting thing. Taking your past experience and using that to predict your plans for the future without mm, actually one. bringing in outside ideas to challenge that. And then I'm just going to leave it with the last one, which is so me, which is optimism bias. And I think most entrepreneurs suffer from this. I'm going to get funding. <laughs> I'm like right around the corner. I'm just waiting for yep. a check. You see all the positive outcomes, but it's almost delusional optimism. How do these transfer though into the actual bias of the interview process? We talked offline a little bit about there's bias in disabilities, sexual orientation, ethnicities, ageism. These are real things. Yep. These are real things that you really need to consciously look past because it does your company no good. Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought up overconfidence bias. Study after study after study has shown that just because a person comes off as super confident doesn't mean they could do the job. And so I've seen that that is translated into two different types of root cause biases from the overconfidence bias. One has been, again, not to pick on us guys, but it is what it is. Typically, men will go in super confident in the interview, whether you think you can do the job or not. Whereas again, most women will go into saying, you know what? They will be a little bit more honest and authentic in regards to what they believe they can and cannot do. And unfortunately, that will leave the interviewer or the hiring manager thinking that, oh, well, because this man who even may be less qualified, but came in as super confident that they can do it, it's like, oh, well, he thinks he can do it. So I guess he can do it. The second way that that plays out is in regards to personality types. So if you have an introvert, versus an extrovert. A lot of people will look at the extrovert and they may be super qualified, maybe overqualified, but maybe they come off as shy or they speak less in the interview. They're still nailing the questions. They're still giving you the answers you want to hear, but they just might not be saying it with the same level of energy or they just may be more quiet than this other person. And again, you may give the louder person who is speaking more energetically the role because this person just didn't seem like, again, they were 
or as confident. So those are some of the things that you definitely should be looking out for during the interview and checking yourself as you're hearing people talk, as you're listening to people, as you're looking at people, especially when it comes to either gender bias, disability bias, bias against people of color or ethnicity, ageism, whatever it is, make sure that you're checking yourself. And if you feel that you're going down this slippery slope of automatically assuming something or looking for this person to validate what you already believe about this person or these groups of people, then you should check yourself and say, oh, wait, hold on. I didn't get that from this person. I already believe this about this person or this group of people. Let me check myself, reset, and go back to giving this person the benefit of the doubt that they are qualified until they give me a reason to believe that they're not. In an interview, you want the information that you don't want to hear. You want to dig underneath the hood and understand exactly who that person is. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm Rick Gerard, and for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources to help you land great hires. Our guest today is Bruce Marble. He is the co-founder and CEO of Employee Cycle. And we're talking about bias. Everybody's favorite subject today. Talking about bias. Much better than COVID, that's for sure. So how do we solve this bias issue? Let's talk a little bit about what do I need to do as an entrepreneur for me to really get this practice out of my head or be aware of it first off. So it all comes down to self-awareness. And as an entrepreneur, you have to know when you're drinking too much of your own Kool-Aid. You have to know where your ego is getting in the way. And just as important as those other things, you have to know whether or not you're actually building the best culture and the best team possible. And in order to do that, research has shown that you need a diverse and inclusive and equitable workforce. So in order to be more self-aware, just again, when you're going out and you're looking to hire, don't just take the easy road. With customers, I think it's an inverse relationship or strategy when it comes to customers versus employees and hiring. Because on the customer standpoint, you wouldn't necessarily want to go out of your way to try to find customers that may be or perceived to be harder to find because you want a diverse set of customers. You're going to try to get as many customers that look alike as quickly as possible because that shows that you have product market fit and you're great in that specific industry or segment. But that's not the case from an employee or a hiring standpoint. You actually want to go, whether you call it out of your way or out of your network or out of your comfort zone, to be able to find people from diverse groups so that you can hire them and make sure that they don't just look like you, talk like you, stop with the BS. I want to work with somebody who I can grab a drink with, or if I was stuck in an elevator or stuck at an airport, all of that is totally bullshit. What you need to do is make sure that you're finding the most qualified person. And if you find people that don't look like the ideal person that you thought was going to fill that role, take that out of your brain, understand it, understand that you're feeling that way so that you're catching yourself and don't beat yourself up about it. Just say, oh, you know what? I almost discounted this person out because I didn't think that they look like or talk like or acted like the person that I thought. But now that I've understood that and now I'm self-aware enough to know that that's what I'm doing, I don't necessarily have to tell anybody I'm doing it or beat myself up. I just try to get over it, remove it, and then continue to move forward with that specific candidate, knowing that that's what I was thinking before, and then try to remove it. So hopefully I'm giving them a fair shot. So we're talking about starting with your mindset here. You really need to be self-aware of the fact that People are different and different people in your organization are good. They're going to help you grow. 
different ideas, different thought patterns, different ways in which you approach a problem or values. Yeah. Those are really important to grow in your company. It sparks innovation. You're saying allow them effectively to be perceived as qualified up front before you make a judgment. Yeah. It's the same way that the law is supposed to work. And I say supposed to because typically it doesn't work that way, but it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. A lot of people, you know that that's not true. And again, the bias in a lot of legal situations is that typically a lot of people of color or people from different ethnicities or underrepresented groups may be looked at as guilty until proven innocent. Well, if you take that framework, that's exactly what a lot of people are doing from a hiring standpoint. You're giving a certain group of people the benefit of the doubt in saying qualified until proven unqualified. But then a lot of people are giving people from underrepresented or minority backgrounds or gender or any other way that you're providing bias to a certain group, you're putting them in the bucket of disqualified until proven qualified. That happens just in the screening of a resume without even a phone call a lot of times. And that's exactly that's problematic. Exactly. You really need to talk to anybody who jumps through your hoops, whatever you put on your job description, they respond back, they give you a cover letter, they take the time to do it. You need to respond yep. to those people and give them the benefit of the doubt. So I agree with you 100% on that. What about things like degrees? Are they important? So it's interesting. I'm in the tech space. And so I would say across the board, Probably not. And I think I have the privilege and luxury to be able to say that degrees may be very important when it comes to things where you absolutely need it. And I'm just going to throw out and say maybe in some type of scientific job or you're dealing with chemistry or something that's really theory based. Oh, sure. Sure. And, and again, I'm blanking on some industries like where if you need somebody who's or a PhD medicine or law. Yeah. Where you actually need a degree or a specialization in a certain area or category of work. But for the most part, I think a lot of the times college is really just to weed people out to see who could actually make it four years during college. And you don't know if that person just partied all four years. You don't know if that person person actually is smarter, quote unquote, or actually more qualified, I think you really just need to understand, is this person coachable? Can this person learn on the job? And what is the potential ramp time for this person to actually become a fully valuable and productive employee versus somebody else? Because just because they have a certain degree or went to a certain school doesn't mean that they'll actually be productive faster than another person. I have a friend who went to an Ivy League school and that person's a cook right now. He's a great cook, but he got a business degree. Yeah. He was okay in school, but he didn't do great. So the assumption that somebody is going to do well at your company because they come out of either your favorite college or this is an even bigger mistake out of a company that you really want to see people out. Like, you know, I call them vanity hires. I've got a chance to hire yeah. somebody who's out of Google. Oh my God, they're going to crush it for us. That's just an assumption that's made that often doesn't work out for a lot of people. But I think degrees are important for maybe the first couple of years. But if somebody doesn't have a degree and they've been working in a field for a long time, their experience is far more valuable than the piece of paper they bring to the table. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I like the term that you use, vanity degrees or vanity jobs. Yeah. What we're all doing when we're looking at degrees or anything else like that is we're trying to risk the candidate. And so we're saying, where'd you go to school? Okay, de-risk school. What was your GPA? De-risk that. Where did you work before? De-risk. But there really isn't that much 
information or that much data that proves that when you de-risk by those variables or those factors that you're actually going to get better employees. No, I don't think that you do. Ultimately, if somebody's super passionate about your company and they bring a level of skills that you need, plus there's the ability for them to grow, then guess what? They're going to crush it for you. That's really exactly. what it boils down to. All right. Yep. So we've got the mindset covered. What about actions? What actions do you need to take as an entrepreneur in order for you to really get the right people on board and eliminate this bias issue? So the first thing that you need to do is get in the mindset of being open to source, interview, and hire a diverse set of candidates. Because if you don't have your mind in the right place to be open to this, then it doesn't matter what you do after that. You already have this systemic bias in you that you've internalized that you need to fix. Once you get past that, then you can start doing things like one, checking your job postings to make sure that they don't have any language that's leaning toward bias. Two, whether it's recruiters and or hiring managers, making sure that you can blind resumes so that you're not looking at things like names, which could allow you to think they're from a certain ethnicity or certain background or religion, move things like location, school, where they live. There's been studies shown that depending on what neighborhood people may think you live in, that they try to figure out what type of candidate you are. Even remove the graduation dates and the different ages or the different date ranges that you worked at different companies so that you're not looking at how old this person is. Yeah. Again, try to remove as much of that as possible so that it's just the facts. What has this person done? What kind of work did this person do? And how are they communicating the work and the value they provided to whichever companies or organizations they work. You also want to make sure that when you're actually interviewing candidates, after you've removed the bias to be able to source candidates from a diverse candidate pool, that you're actually interviewing inter candidates with the same standardized interview. So studies have shown that whether it's a candidate that's a referral or somebody that looks like you, talks like you, went to a certain school, whatever that thing is that resonates with you, all of a sudden that interview process goes from these rigid questions. Like if you were two centimeters tall and inside of a blender, then how would you jump out? Maybe you're asking really crazy, weird questions like that. So all of a sudden, now when you realize they were part of a frat or went to a school that you know or a cool company that you like, it goes from, hey, so tell me about the last thing you ate or what does your Instagram look like or whatever. And now all of a sudden you're giving them softball questions because you have likability bias. And so you want to make sure that you standardize the interview questions so that everybody's interviewing the same way with the same format and also talking to all the same people across the same stages throughout the full interview process so that you're comparing apples to apples. Your interview should never, ever, ever be a social conversation. Maybe the first minute just to get to know somebody and get comfortable with them and make them feel comfortable, but it yep. should always be the same questions. And I'm going to take it a step further. You should be assigned the questions by whoever's leading the interview process. So Absolutely. we do this pretty stringently. Like your interviewer number two, here's your four questions. Go. And you're trained on how to actually ask those questions, how to dig deeper on those questions to get the evidence that you need to support a yes or a no. And here's another little rule or a little tip you should put in play. It should be more difficult to say no 
than it is to say yes. Meaning I just didn't like the person is right. not a valid reason <laughs> right. for you right. to say no. But hey, this person didn't really fit based on this evidence that they actually gave me about this, 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 and this. Or the other BS version of I didn't like this person is this person doesn't seem like a good culture fit, which what does that even mean? No, okay, based on what? So exactly. you need to take that exactly. a step further. It, you got to challenge all your interviewers because that tells me nothing. That just means I didn't like this person. That's right. not a good enough right. reason to pass on somebody. So what does that actually mean? And we found that most companies shouldn't be looking for culture fit. They should be looking for culture ad because your culture is a living, breathing thing. It's not something that will stay stagnant. And if it does, then it's going to die. But over time, your culture is a mixture of what everyone brings to the table versus you saying, here's our culture and then everybody needs to fit it. Because by definition, that's going to create likability bias in the first place. I agree. But you also do have to have people that meld with your company values. Yes. And the values in the culture, I believe, are different. Because we could share the same values, but have two totally different personalities. Absolutely. But I don't think a lot of people realize that those are different, but they're very intertwined because yes. they confuse the yes. two. Culture is my company values, but that's not really what it is. Culture is your values combined with the behaviors of the people people combined with the people. Exactly. Yeah. Your culture is the way that people act out your values. Yeah. When they're that, around the, the water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> right. When you're not around. Right. Shoot. You know what, Bruce, we're just about out of time for today's show. What would be two or three key takeaways that you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? First thing, make sure that you have the right mindset to go into hiring, being open to hiring individuals from all types of diverse backgrounds, maybe whether they are existing backgrounds that you have in your company today or not. Just make sure that you have that right mindset. And look at yourself first. Exactly. The second thing that I would do is to make sure that your recruiting and sourcing process is really open to eliminate bias. And from that, I mean, make sure that you are plugging into networks that won't give you the same cookie cutter candidate, but that they'll give you a diverse source and diverse pool of candidates. And then the third thing is to make sure that you're standardizing the interview. So if you have the right mindset to be open to diversity and eliminate bias, if you make sure that the sourcing process is eliminating bias by not just making your filtering process so slim that no one from an underrepresented group can go in, then you're in a good place. And then ultimately, if you're standardizing the interview process, hopefully you should be in a good place to be able to move all those candidates to the funnel. And then the best person, regardless of their background, will get hired. Exactly. And make it more difficult to say no than it is to say yes. Yes, sir. Bruce, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power radio community. Thank you for having me. Oh, dude, it's a pleasure. This was awesome. What would be the best way in which members of our audience could reach you, find out more about you, your company, give you a few minutes of plug time? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, Bruce Marable. I think you can spell my last name if you're looking at this video. I'm on LinkedIn 24 hours a day. So if you ever want to contact me there, please do. I'm not a big social media guy. So if you contact me on Twitter or Instagram, I think I have an Instagram page, then I don't know what that's like, but LinkedIn <laughs> Neither do for I. sure. <laughs> LinkedIn for sure. Also our website, you can see that at employeecycle.com. Learn all about us. Please sign up for a free trial, connect your HR systems and use our people dashboard to eliminate bias, understand more things about your hiring and recruiting process. And hopefully you can use the data in our dashboard to figure out whether or not you do have a bias-free hiring process. That's awesome. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, Christopher Decker, Andrea Ballin, and 
Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We love your feedback after all the shows for you. And you can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or drop me an email at ricketstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Adam Gordon. Adam is the co-founder of PTO Genius. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success, Rick Turner.